You know, as we've been going through this series, we, we began with our father. When we say our father, it defines the relationship. It identifies who we are and who he is, that he's our dad and we're his kids and he loves us. And then we went on to hallowed be your name. In other words, you're our dad, we love you, we know you love us, and we respect you, we honor you, we worship you. We put you in the right place. And then last week we talked about let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we talked about, that phrase meaning, is essentially what are you doing here on the earth and how can I cooperate with it? It's like Jesus was teaching his disciples manners. He was saying, acknowledge he's your dad, give him the honor that he deserves, and then ask him what he thinks first. Don't begin to rattle off the list. Ask him what he thinks first. Let your kingdom come. What are you doing in the earth already? What are you doing in my heart? What are you doing in my marriage? What are you doing in my family? And how can I cooperate with it? That's the proper order. It gives you manners with God. And so we're going to move on tonight then to give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now, when you look at that line, initially, you, it, it kind of looks like Jesus is being redundant. Like he said today twice. Did, was it a mistake? Did the translators make a mistake? No, I think there's something inherently purposeful about Jesus saying it this way. He says, give us today our daily bread. If you think about it, there's two ideas here. There's two meanings here. One of them, give us today, is timing. Right? When? Today. When? What are we praying for? We're praying for today. And the second one is an amount. Give us today our daily bread. One is when. The other is how much. We're praying and asking God to give us today our daily bread, and we're asking him to give us the daily allotment. Here's a phrase I want you to get. He knows when, and he knows how much. God knows when, and he knows how much. That's what this prayer begins to mean. Now, most people, in Jesus' day, as he was saying this, they were daily wage earners. So they were earning money, they were working, and then they were receiving their wage, and then they were taking that money and going to the market and buying food. So it made sense to them in this way, but I, I fear that we've kind of lost that meaning. That's not how it works for us today, most of us. The last time we saw this kind of daily wage earner was probably the Great Depression. Even though this recession is really, really difficult, most of us are not focused on today, we're focused on the end of the month, or we're focused on next month. And I think this is the problem is we are often, we often want to pray for monthly bread instead of daily bread. God, give me, give me, give me my monthly bread so that I don't have to worry and be all freaked out. You know, God, I have this thing and it's down here and I, I need, I, I need you to take care of this and I'm going to pray for it every day until that, until it comes because I'm really worried about it. There's something that Jesus, I think, is trying to teach us when he says, give us today 
our daily bread. He's talking about more than physical bread. He's talking about relying on God for your daily existence. He's talking about depending on God to provide for your needs. He's talking about allowing God to meet your physical needs and your spiritual needs. And I think this is, this is the, the sort of the hidden secret in this prayer. There's a dialogue that needs to go on between us and God about when and how much. I mean, for me, for my life, it always seems like God is never on time. Do you ever have that experience? It's like, come on, God, what is going on here? Your timing stinks. Really, it's okay to pray that. Look at the Psalms. They all prayed that and worse. But what we see Jesus teaching the disciples is, is there's, a, there's a certain amount of faith that comes when you begin to pray this way. You're not thinking about what was, and you're not thinking about what's coming. You're focused on today. You're not living in anxiety. You're living in trust and faith that God knows when and he knows how much. I love what Philippians 4, 6 says. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Very challenging statement. <laughs> Don't be anxious about anything. How do you not be anxious about anything? I mean, I get up in the morning, I'm anxious about what cereal I should choose. I mean, it's, it, there, it's like everywhere. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. And then here it comes, with thanksgiving. God, thank you. I know you're faithful. Thank you for being faithful to me in the past. Thank you for how you love me. I know that you know when and how much I need. See, there's something about that when you add that into it. I, I mean, prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There is nothing wrong with presenting your requests to God. That's what this is. We're going to talk this week about bread. Next week, we'll talk about forgiveness. The week after that, we'll talk about keeping us from evil. But in the midst of it, there's something that God's communicating. Look at, look at verse 7. It says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will then guard your hearts and your minds. See, okay, your responsibility is just to talk to him about it every day in an attitude of thanksgiving, knowing that he knows when and he knows how much, and then his job is to give you the peace. His job is to give you peace. There's, I mean... Our, our lives seem filled with anxiety, and, and it strikes me that Christians, often American Christians, we do a lot of thinking and a lot less praying. In fact, sometimes we, sometimes we think that we're praying, but really we're only thinking. Right? Like, like, we, like we, we think our prayers, right? But thinking is not necessarily praying. Can I encourage you that the battleground for your heart starts in your mind? This verse says that God wants to guard your heart and mind with his peace, but your responsibility for that is to talk to him about that whatever is going on that day. That day. And so thinking does not necessarily equal praying. You, you can be thinking about 
God and praying in your mind. But if you do that early in the morning at 6 a.m. and you sit down and you don't move your lips, it is not long until... (laughs) I think we should pray more out of our mouths. There's something about praying out of your mouth that engages your mind in a different way. Your ears hear it. Your mouth says it. There's something powerful about the words that we say when it comes out of our heart. And even when we're declaring something in faith, we're we're wrestling with that faith, but we say it out loud, it builds us. It builds our faith. So thinking does not equal praying. Thinking actually mostly equals anxiety. Mostly equals anxiety. Now, am I saying all thinking leads? No, I want you to be thinking people. I don't want you to be stupid. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to be smart. I want you to be articulate. I want you to read a book every now and then, okay? Read the Bible and read some good books. Paul is articulating here is praying equals peace. Praying about whatever you're worried about equals peace. I I have an issue in my life, and it's about punctuality. Sometimes I'm not very punctual. I think, it, I think it's because I'm such an optimist. I think I can get more done in a space of time than I can. Isn't that a nice way to say it? <laughs> no, I'm just late. And you thought your pastor was perfect. No. So my wife is very punctual. I mean extremely punctual. She thinks if you're not five minutes early, you're late. It's been very difficult, but why, I, I learned something as I was... Um, as I was dealing with all this kind of thing, there's a book, and I, I, for, I forget the title of it, but it was talking about something called worry management. <laughs> worry management, right? I started applying it to being punctual because I would stress out or we would stress out trying to get somewhere. You know, we're supposed to be at some point, at some place at this time, and I'm stressing out because I can see it coming. It's not going to happen. There's too many things. It's too far away, especially in Austin. You're going to get stuck in traffic, and and it ruins everything before the meeting. So the premise of 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 the idea of worry management is you don't worry until there's something to actually worry about. You don't worry until you're actually late. Because you don't know what could happen. You could hit every light green all the way there and you would get there on time. You don't know. You, it could happen. It could be that you're praying and you're not worrying and not stressed out and God could transport you there. and Boom, you'd be on time. It could happen. So there's something, and, and so many people, I, I think this is the issue, is they fix their attention on something in the future, and they live in anxiety and worry. It consumes their hearts and minds. That is the scheme of the enemy for you. The devil has two schemes, and I want you to get this. He wants you to look back at your past and say, you'll never change. You'll never be good enough. You've made so many mistakes, so many failures. You'll never amount to anything. Those mistakes and those failures are going to keep you down. He's going to keep pointing to your past. He's going to keep pointing to your failures. Instead of you trusting in the work of Christ to eliminate your past, to wash your mind and your heart clean. But the devil wants you to look back and he wants you to look far enough in the future that you'll be distracted, worried, full of anxiety, stressed out. 
Those are his two schemes. Jesus had something to say about this. And I, I just want to go there really quick. Jesus had something to say about this in um, Matthew chapter 6, right where we are. So if you look over there in verse 28, this is just past where Jesus is teaching on prayer. Matthew 6, 28, it says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Such an amazing idea. Look at all creation. Look at how beautiful it is. Look at how God clothes it. He's going to take care of you. Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I think it would change our prayer life. It transforms our prayer life if we start with, God, you know I need these. You know what I need. In fact, you know when I need them, and you know how much. And then he, fit, he gets down here, and Jesus is expounding on this idea of, of worry and prayer. And he says, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you see what Jesus is doing when he's teaching in the Lord's Prayer? He's trying to get us to focus on what's happening today. He's trying to get your attention today to be present, to be in the moment with him. Not to be consumed with your past and not to be consumed and anxious about your future. Because God knows what you need. And he's going to provide it. If you turn over to Exodus, go way back over here to Exodus, all the way to the front, all the way to the front. Look at Exodus. This is the, a picture for us of the nation of Israel, and they've, they've now been released, been delivered from Egypt, and they're in the desert. And I've seen the desert where they were wandering around. I was, I was over there, and I was looking at this space of wilderness, and it is dry and dusty, and there is no food, and there is no water. It is a barren wasteland. And so God leads them out of Egypt where all their needs are being taken care of, and he's sending them to the promised land, but they got to go through the desert first. How many know that's kind of how it works? <laughs> got to go through the desert to get to the promised land. So here they are, verse 4 of chapter 16 in Exodus. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough food, enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. We don't like to think about this, but God tries to teach us. He's trying to teach, he's trying to teach the nation of Israel to depend on him and to do what he says. He'll do the same thing to you and me. I'm going to put this out there, and I'm going to see if they'll do it. Here it is. I'm going I'm to give bread. I'm going to give provision, and I'm going to see if they're going to obey me. Look, look at what happens here. Verse 5, on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days, all right? So here, God is going to rain down manna from heaven. Manna, you know what the word means? It means, what is it? What is it? And what it will, it's described here later on in this chapter, and it was a little wafer that tasted like honey. It was like cornflakes on steroids. <laughs> Not really, cornflakes on sugar. So it was good, 
It was good. And so move on to verse 17. Look what it says. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, which is about four quarts, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. You know what God's trying to say? He said, I got enough for you today. You, you need a lot today? I got that for you. You need a little bit today? I have that for you. He's trying to teach his people to rely on him. Verse 19, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Don't keep it. Bad news. It'll be really bad for you. It's a stinky. Verse 20 says, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Have you ever smelled maggots? You got to have enough maggots for it to smell. It's gross. That's what happened to the bread when they tried to keep it. Now look what, look what continues. Verse 21, each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Think of this. This is so weird. Every other day of the week, it gets rotten. One day a week, it doesn't get rotten. It's like a miracle. <laughs> and God is saying to them, I want you to do what I tell you to do. He's working on their obedience and he's working on them believing that he's going to take care of them. That's what he's working. By the way, same thing he's working on you and me. Will you believe me? Will you obey me? That's simply what he's doing. Will you believe me? Will you obey me? Look what they do. They keep going. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Verse 25, eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, be, there will not be any. Verse 27, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. What is wrong with these people? Do you ever feel like that? You, you, it's like you're looking back at the story. It's like, what is wrong with you? I just told you there isn't going to be any in there. And yet you trudge right on out. I got to go out and get the bread. Listen, it's hardwired into us as humans. We think we have to take care of me. It's hardwired into us. We got we to do it. We got to take care of it. We got to make sure it happens. So we save some, and then it turns to maggots. And then when he tells us we can keep it, we keep it. But then we go out the next day and try to get some more. Now, let me tell you this. I think the disobedience that our culture has on the Sabbath, the lack of rest that most of you and I wrestle with, is part of the struggle with give us today our daily bread. Because the Sabbath requires trust. It requires faith that God can do more in six than you can in seven. If you'll give him one day, he'll do more in six for you than you can by yourself without him in seven. But still, we feel it. We feel the pressure. We know we need to work. We got to get this done. God, you know, I got to get this get it ready for work. Monday is coming, and I have to have this ready, and I'm not done yet. What am I supposed to do? Hmm. We're going to have to adjust our obedience 
and our belief. If we're going to pray this prayer honestly, give us today our daily bread. Verse 28 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. If there's one thing our culture needs and one thing most of you need, it's rest. And most of the reason, most of the time, the problem is, it's because this thing's ticking over and over and over again. I'll tell you what my problem is. I can obey the Sabbath on a, on a calendar. I have trouble obeying the Sabbath in my soul. I have trouble obeying the Sabbath and turning this thing off. And most of you probably have the same problem. God knows when and he knows how much. Turn over to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Back to Matthew chapter 17. I want you to see this picture that we have of Peter. Gotta love Peter. Great stories with Peter and Jesus. Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? You can see Peter kind of dumbstruck. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, he does, he replied. And when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. So you can imagine Jesus coming into the house. He's like, uh, Jesus, yeah, do we, do we pay taxes? But before he could even get it out, Jesus says, what do you think, Simon? He asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others. You have, you have to understand the context of this Roman-dominated world. The Romans were collecting taxes, but they weren't collecting it from their own people. They were collecting it from the people they'd conquered. And there was this process going on where these conquered people were paying an incredible amount of tax. And so when Jesus says this, he's, he's kind of setting up the question, who do they collect duties and taxes from? Who do kings collect duties and taxes from? From their sons or from others? Verse 26, from others, Peter answered. The sons don't pay the tax. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. There it is. There it is right there. <laughs> you and I, we don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> Just kidding. That's not what it says. How I wish it said that. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. He's making a point to Peter. Look at verse 27. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now, is that the craziest story you've ever heard? He says, Peter, now, first of all, Peter's a fisherman, and he's used to being in big boats, and he's throwing nets over the side, big, huge nets, and getting a lot of fish. Jesus tells him, just go with one line and put it in the, put it in the lake. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. He tells, he tells him to change from what, he, what his expertise is. I wonder if Jesus does this to you and me sometimes. Businessmen and women, sometimes Jesus will tell you, if you'll ask him, Give us today our daily bread. If you'll, if you'll include him in the process, sometimes he will tell you to do something that on the surface doesn't look quite right or it doesn't line up with your expertise and yet God is directing your steps to provide daily bread for you. I think, I think this happens 
God wants to give you ideas. He wants to give us our own ingenuity in whatever field we're working in. He wants to provide for us, but we, we cho- sometimes we choose not to listen. We're just full of anxiety. Look, Peter, he goes out, he casts his line, and he, he gets the first fish, and the first fish he pulls out has a coin in its mouth. Can you imagine all the people that lined up to fish there for weeks on end? He's like, this is where the fish comes from that has money in its mouth. <laughs> this is awesome. Have you found any more? No, but it could be. Just all it takes is one. <laughs> it's like modern day lottery. <laughs> G- what's Jesus doing? He's not trying to be cute. He's not showing off. He's trying to teach Peter a principle. And the principle is trust God, don't trust money. Trust God, don't trust money. He's, he's giving the same idea that, that he articulated in Matthew 6 when he said, seek first the kingdom and your physical needs will be met. He's saying, don't worry about this. And he's really saying, he's really pitting it between, between money and God. Because the issue here is not that you don't have to work. Am I saying you just have to lay around and pray all day and then God will just provide everything? Wouldn't it be awesome if that was it? Like, we could just camp out here and just pray, worship God for hours on end. He would just give us all the money we need. That's, that's, I don't even think that's biblical. What we're talking about here is inviting God by faith into your work and into your life and trusting him, even though you're working for it, even though you have to be a good steward of what he's given you and you have to work hard, we have to work hard, we don't trust our work, our own ability. We don't trust our own money. We put our trust and our faith in God, our provider. It's a challenging tension. It's tension. It's difficult. Look at Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's interesting. God didn't say you you can't, Jesus didn't say you can't serve God and hobbies. You can't serve God and family. You can't serve, I mean, he says some of those kinds of things in other places, but here he's making a distinction. Money is the thing that grips people's heart. We can't follow the money. We can't pray, show me the money. We have to follow Christ. We ask to ask him for his provision for us. We pray, we pray, give us today our daily bread. One more passage and then we'll, then we'll end. John chapter six. Go there with me real quickly. John chapter six. I love this passage because Jesus is so well articulating the ideas behind who he is and how he wants to interact with our lives. This is two years into the ministry of Jesus. Huge crowds are following. John chapter 6, verse 47, here's what it says. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh 
which I will give for the life of the world. Now, Jesus was using a metaphor here, but he's trying to teach a big idea to the Jewish people who are trusting in their own works and their own family lines to receive God's approval. That's what he's speaking to. And so he's saying, I'm the bread from heaven. And Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. It's still fresh in their mind. He had multiplied the bread and it had fed all these people. So it's fresh in the hearers' minds. And he's saying, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. And of course, in their minds, they're thinking about manna. They, they all know the story about manna in the wilderness. And now Jesus is saying, I'm the provision for you. And they don't want to hear it. So they say, verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They take it to the next level. They move from analogy to actual literal meaning. But then look what Jesus does. He goes right along with them. And he, and he pushes everybody over the edge. Look what he says. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What are we talking about here? What, Jesus, what are you saying? This is some kind of vampire thing? What, what is it? <laughs> Notice, look what Jesus, he keeps going. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is trying to teach us that while we're working, that we have to be totally immersed in him. What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in being your mascot. I'm not interested in being a hobby. You gotta give, you gotta give it all. You gotta become part of me and I gotta become part of you. I have to, I want you to take it all from me and I want to provide for you and I want you to surrender your life completely to me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, we can't play around uh, with this anymore. You guys are going to have to really make the leap and believe in me. You must take me into your life and trust me. Listen to me and obey me. Listen, here's the deal. Bread is easy for God. Bread is easy. It's easy for Jesus. Think about the temptations. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, what was the first temptation? The tempter came to him and said, you're hungry, you've been fasting for 40 days. Here, turn these stones into bread. You know that, why that was such a temptation for Jesus? Because he could have done it like that. He could have made it into fresh baked bread. Mmm. Physical bread's not hard for God. What's challenging is our hearts turning to him and trusting him completely for provision. In Matthew chapter four, he says these words. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
That's how he responds to the tempter. Think of in John 4, when he's, after he's talking to the woman at the well. He's talking to her, the Samaritan woman. He's not supposed to be talking to her. She's, he's reading her mail, and she's like, they're having this wild conversation, and the disciples are off getting food at Subway somewhere, and they come back with Subway sandwiches, and he's, they say, here, Jesus, you need to eat. You need to eat something. And Jesus turns to them and says these words. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. You, I, what I want you to see in this phrase, look at this phrase, because Jesus mentions both work and food in this, in this sentence. He's supposed to work. God's given him a, a, an agenda, and he's supposed to work on it, but he has food that comes from his father that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with this work. It's a matter of perspective. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. Look to God for your bread or look to yourself to provide. Look to God for your bread or just take all the responsibility and burden on yourself and get burned out and get stressed out. Now, having said that, we all need bread to live, right? Our Father already knows that. But changing our perspective, are we supposed to be good stewards of what he's given us? Absolutely. Put up that faith and stewardship graph. Look, what we're supposed to do is be willing to have faith in what God wants to do for us and how he wants to provide for our needs. And at the same time, hold in tension the stewardship of the work he's given us to do. We have to work at it. We have to take care of what he's given us, but we have to keep our focus, our eyes fixed on Jesus to be our provider. Just because we're working hard and we're, we're creating money or wealth does not mean that that becomes our source. We have to keep God as our source. And so there's this constant tension here. Here's what you have to understand. Faith is about risk and trust. When you put your faith in God, sometimes it looks dumb. Sometimes faith doesn't look quite right because you're, you're taking a leap. You don't see it right in front of you. The bill is due at the end of the month and you don't see where it's gonna come from and you don't know, so you have to put your faith in God today. Faith is about risk and trust, but stewardship is about responsibility and faithfulness every day. Jesus is trying to get our eyes off of what's coming, off of what's the past, and put it on today and pray, God, give me today my daily bread. What, give me today. You know when I need what I need, and you know how much I need. And I'll keep working, and I'll keep surrendering to you. Close your eyes and let's pray. I want you to think about where your life is and what, what you have grown accustomed to in your journey of trusting God? What goes on in your mind every month, every week, each day? Where are you living? Are you living in the past? Are, are you living obsessed and anxious about the future? Where are you? I wanna challenge you to let God come in and take his place in your life to give you his bread, bread from heaven.